a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Look, I'm not solving the world's problems here. But I am doing my best to offer a take that gives you some light, some understanding, and hopefully some encouragement that all is not lost. I mean, things are pretty crazy, but uh, there are things you and I can do starting with ourselves and fixing ourselves that will make a world of difference, not only to us, but to everybody around us. So thank you for being part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. Got some great sponsors who make this show possible, including Sewing and Quilting Center in St. George, Utah. This is a business started back in 1984 by Ken Harker. It's changed owners just twice in that time. The current owners are Teresa and Eric Alsop. Ken Harker, by the way, is still there, still fixing sewing machines and embroidery machines and so forth. They offer brother sewing and embroidery machines, baby lock sergers, handy quilter, long arm quilting machines. If this sounds, you know, like uh, a foreign language to you, well, you know, this is this is how other people feel when mechanics are talking about the upgrades they've been putting in their high performance sports cars or motorcycles. But trust me when I tell you that sewing is a legit pastime. It's a legit skill set. And if you are looking for the very best machines as well as the service to keep them going, Sewing and Quilting Center at St. George, Utah is the place you should go. If you're looking to, to learn embroidery or computerized quilting or how to use your sewing machine to its highest possible use, they can train you to do so. And, of course, they sell fabric and superior thread and cuddle material. It's all there in one place. Stop by and see them at 779 South Bluff Street. You can go to their website, SewingQuiltingCenter.com. But above all, know that they are one of the great sponsors making this show possible on a daily basis. So I've seen a real resurgence, at least within my own family, of an interest in family history, and particularly an appreciation of the people who came before us. I've been watching my Aunt Janet over the last roughly a little over a year now, Every single day, she is posting something on Facebook, which is another story or another example of something from family history. Now, it takes her two or three hours a day to research this, but she's done it. And she's compiled a very comprehensive family history of actually two or three different parts of her family. And since I have a son who's kind of our family historian and very into, you know, knowing who came before... I actually bought a copy of this book that she just had put together and gave it to my son and told him, I want you to be the record keeper. I want you to make sure that uh, you're well-versed on our family history. He already is. In fact, if I can just be so bold, he's the reason I was able to connect with my biological parents. It started with his interest in who are the people who came before us. What do we know about where we came from? But the crazy thing is, Right now, there's a very strong movement, at least through intellectual and political and academic circles, to condemn everything that came before us and to demonize the past and everybody who was there. They were all wrong. They were all stupid. They were evil. They were superstitious. And we have to reject it. Why? Well, because there's a better way. 
Oh, and hey, look, there's a picture of Karl Marx. Gee, I wonder if he has something to do with that better way they're pushing. But nonetheless, there's a lot of ingratitude for the people who came before us. And that's wrong. Victor Davis Hanson, writing for AmericanGreatness.com, has an article about the ungracious and their demonization of the past. He says, never in history has such a mediocre but self-important and ungracious generation owed so much, yet expressed so little gratitude to its now-dead forebears. He says, the last two years have seen an unprecedented escalation in a decades-long war on the American past. But there are lots of logical flaws in attacking prior generations in U.S. history. Critics assume their own moral, their own judgmental generation is morally superior to those of the past. So they use their own standards to condemn the mute dead who supposedly don't measure up to them. Yet 21st century critics rarely acknowledge their own present influence and, or affluence rather, and leisure owe much to history's prior generations whose toil helped create their current comfort. And what may future scolds say of the modern generation that saw over 60 million abortions since Roe v. Wade, even as fetal viability outside the womb continued to progress to ever earlier ages? What will our grandchildren say of us who dumped on them over $30 trillion in national debt, much of it is borrowing for entitlements for ourselves? What sort of society snoozes as record numbers of murders continue in 12 of its major cities? What is so civilized about defunding the police, endemics, smash-and-grab thefts, and carjackings? Was our media more responsible, professional, and learned in 1965 or 2021? Did Hollywood make more sophisticated and enjoyable films in 1954 or 2021? Was there less or more sportsmanship among professional athletes in 1990 or 2021? Was it actually moral to discard the content of our character and equal opportunity principles of the prior civil rights movement <clears throat> 60 year, of 60 years ago? Are there replacement fixations on the color of our skin and equality of result superior? Victor Davis Hanson asked, would America have won World War II with the current labor participation rate of only 6 in 10 Americans working? Would our generation have brought all American troops home and quit World War I? in fear of the deadly 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. Are we proud that most standardized tests of student knowledge and achievement continue to decline, despite record investments in education? Do we ever pause to consider that we enjoy our modern standard of living and security because we were once a meritocracy that quit judging our workforce by tribal affinities and ancient prejudices? I mean, these are good questions. Victor Davis Hanson says, Our generation talks of infrastructure nonstop. When was the last time it built anything comparable to Hoover Dam? Or the interstate highway system? Or the California Water Project? Much less, send a man back to the moon or beyond. If prior generations were so toxic, why do we continue to take for granted the moral and material world they bequeathed to us, from the Constitution and the Bill of Rights to our airports, freeways, and power plants? Did we ever defeat anything comparable to the Axis powers or Soviet communism? He says, we know the symptoms of the current epidemic of hating the past. One is Orwellian renaming and statue toppling. Historical revision often responds to puritanical mob frenzies rather than to democratic discussion and voters and votes rather of relevant elected officials. 
Where's the pantheon of woke heroes who'll replace the toppled or defaced Thomas Jefferson and Teddy Roosevelt? Whose moral and achievement, whose morality rather and achievement should instead be immortalized? Were the public and private lives of Che Guevara, Angela Davis, Malcolm X, Margaret Sanger, and Franklin D. Roosevelt without sin? Racial fixations tend predictably in one direction. In good Confederate fashion, we lump all individuals who look alike into inexact collectives of white, black, or brown, often to stereotype the supposed evils of so-called white supremacy. But he says if we go down that tribalist and simplistic road of caricatured oppressors and oppressed, will future generations tally up each group's merits and demerits to adjudicate the roles of millions of individuals in making America better or worse? What standard would they use to judge our ignorant world of racial stereotyping? Proportional representation in Nobel Prizes, philanthropy, scientific breakthroughs, or lasting art, music, and literature? Versus statistics on homicides, assault, divorce, and illegitimacy? Immigration, when legal, diverse, measured, and often meritocratic, has been the great strength of America as typified by industrious individuals who chose to abandon their own homeland to risk new lives in a foreign United States. But he says, if America is so flawed and irredeemable, why in fiscal year 2021 are nearly 2 million foreigners now crashing its borders illegally, en masse, and intent on reaching a supposedly racist nation that is purportedly inferior to those they abandon? According to the ancient brutal bargain, Assimilation and integration grant the immigrant as much claim to America's present and past as the native-born. But then shouldn't the antithesis also be true? Shouldn't immigrants at least respect those of the past who created the very country they now so eagerly desire and who died in awful places from Valley Forge to Bastogne to preserve? Victor Davis concludes by saying, Never in history has such a mediocre but self-important and ungracious generation owed so much yet expressed so little gratitude to its now-dead forebears. Now, don't get lost in the idea that everything he's talking about is purely political. If you really want to appreciate those who came before you, start with your own family line. Yeah, you're going to find people who are clearly imperfect. Even the best among your family line are going to have their flaws and imperfections. Learn from them. Become better yourself. Think about the legacy you are leaving for those who will follow in your footsteps. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, we are back. I know I spend a lot of time encouraging my listeners to keep a hold of reality. And, and you know, that's not just some idle thing. Yeah, this is a reality-based show. Everybody else is off there in fantasy land. I mean, you look around you. There are things that we're being told, hey, you have to believe this, even though you can clearly see that it's not true. You know, it's the, the transgender politics right now are probably a great example of this. I don't know if you saw, but, you know, the highest woman, you know, cash winner on Jeopardy is a transgender guy. It's a guy who transitioned into a womanly role. I don't think people understand, you know, that you can you can insist you have to accept this. You have to believe this. 
And no matter how they beat you over the head, it still doesn't change the reality. This person was born a biological male. It's not hateful to acknowledge reality. What's hateful is to to draft and to co-opt people into your fantasy and insist they have to participate. Now, you do understand, I'm not talking about mistreating people because they have a particular, you know, way of seeing themselves. The same way you wouldn't treat someone who is suffering from anorexia or bulimia or something like that. You know, you wouldn't treat them as less. You'd want to love them for who they are. But it doesn't mean you have to participate in their fantasy. All right, moving on here. Keeping your grasp on reality in our current day is tough. But when history is being rewritten and the voices of truth are being silenced, how do you remember what truly happened? Got a great article here from uh, Aiden Tate. This is from the Organic Prepper. And it's, history is being rewritten, are you prepared? Aiden Tate says, history is being rewritten and the past two years are all the evidence we need of such. Obama's reign proved to be a catalyst for the destruction of America. Now we are seeing the fruits of his efforts. Our republic is no more. We no longer live in the land of the free. And a part of living in a slave state means that the right to free speech has disappeared. For years now, we've witnessed the deplatforming of individuals who fought against the globalists slash communists. In 2018, we had U.S. senators saying the only way to protect our democracy was censorship. Now, when your politicians start calling your republic a democracy, he points out you have a problem. We've covered the global book burning of alternative, in other words, true news, here before. He says, we've watched the freedom lovers of the world flock to Parler as their own social media posts on other platforms had been banned, and then Parler was effectively destroyed. But these were all private companies, people cried. Let's not forget we had the White House flagging posts for Facebook to censor. Strange behavior for a private company, is it not? We've got DC talking about how if you're banned from one social media platform for spreading misinformation, you should be banned from all social media platforms. How much further of a logical step is it to say, no, these people shouldn't be allowed to say anything online at all? And we've seen a bit of this at play here at the Organic Prepper, he says, where we had our ad revenue destroyed by the Global Disinformation Index. That's an organization based in the United Kingdom, which receives funds from government sources. We've discussed here how we've discussed here before how virtually every country on Earth, even the U.S., has an Internet kill switch, which they can activate at any time to shut down voices of dissent. You can say, well, I'll just use my ham radio, but even not even that's not safe as we've seen evidence of jamming of such in Cuba. The point is this. History is being written, rewritten, rather, as truth is being silenced. Globalists are attempting to silence us, and there are numerous reasons you should be concerned. And it was because of this threat that the organic prepper decided to put all of their content onto a USB drive available for purchase. And here's why. He says, we've cataloged historical events extensively here at the Organic Prepper ever since our inception. When something happened of note to American freedom, we kept record of it. For those familiar with the novel 1984, which has seen a huge spike in sales this year, by the way. Funny timing, isn't it? The concept of a totalitarian government going back through government or going back through historical records, rather, to fix them is nothing new. In fact, we've seen this before in real life. 
One only need take a cursory glance at any book on the Soviet Union to see this in play. Aiden Tate says, personally, I've witnessed several interesting articles of the past two years go the way of the 404 error message when I attempted to return to them for research purposes. Twenty years from now, as the fragments of the U.S. squabble amongst themselves, if you want your children to know the truth, an accurate record of what happened will help. And he says, our USB archive can help you do just that. After all, prepping is being demonized. Consider that Facebook is now giving out warnings in case you know someone who's becoming too prepared in reference to preppers. Prepping's being demonized and those who prep are apparently being watched. And Aiden Tate says that should come as no surprise. Preppers by nature remain independent. They don't have to depend on government handouts for food, electricity, water, and the like. And as such, they retain their freedom. Now consider that it is this freedom that is under attack. Totalitarians crave power, and the way you get that power is to destroy your freedom. If you are free, then the tyrant has less ability to force you to bend to his will. So, preppers are the enemy. Now, with that being said, prepping information could easily disappear from the Internet at some point as well. Now, he says, perhaps this may seem far-fetched, but don't let normalcy bias cloud your vision. Consider that in 2019, if you had described the world of today... Nobody would have believed you. People then would consider today's world too far-fetched. So he says, read the warning signs and tell me, what do you see? Having ready access offline to vital prepping information can not only help you to keep yourself well-stocked with prepper information, but it can better help you to gift that knowledge to your loved ones as well. So that being said, he says, check out our USB archive of the organic prepper. I can't remember. I think they're charging a hundred something, maybe hundred and thirty bucks. But it's it's a it's information. Information that can be used for generations. So maybe it's something you should consider. He says it's a fantastic way to not only keep an accurate historical record of what has transpired, but also to keep yourself in stock of prepping advice for just about any facet of being prepared that you can think of. So he says the sale's rapidly drawing to a close. Oh, look at this. Actually, get your USB archive now before the sale ends. Save $100. Put that remainder towards food. He says you're going to need it. 2022 is not looking friendly. Look, I don't know what the coming year holds. There are some indicators that uh, things could get very off track. And I'm looking primarily at some of the economic indicators. I'm not trying to create fear, so please forgive me if, if this makes you, you know, have a little spasm of fear, you know, leap into your heart. Hold tight here. That's not the goal. But I do think it's probably a good idea to, to follow Aiden Tate's advice here. And uh, just are, are you squared away? Do you have the necessary resources that you could fall back on? One of the hardest things that I found when my family and I were moving earlier this year was uh, trying to handle all of our books. We gave away so many books. And I'm a book collector. I like to read. But I also, I had to go through and I had to make decisions. Which of these books would be most valuable to us? You can probably guess what the books that I found most valuable were like. Not just strictly on prepping, although I do have some great resources for that, but also books on, you know, how to think more clearly 
classics that, that continue to inform and build your mind and your intellect and your character year after year. See, I take it for granted, too. Well, I can always just go over to my computer and fire up a search engine and find whatever it is I need. For now, that's true. But it may not always be the case. And so I want to make sure I have a physical library, something I can put my hands on when I need to get information. That includes medical information, too. Just a recommendation. You know, you can do with this information as you choose. Seems like it might be a good idea to uh, stock up on knowledge as well as food. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. If you'd like to subscribe to the show notes, I will happily email you a copy and I will keep your email sacred as in I will not farm it out to, you know, other advertisers or any other third parties. I'll just send you uh, what I put into the show notes, which I publish every day that I do this program. It's a collection of resources for wrong thinkers. I'm not telling you this is the gospel. You should treat these as tablets that came down from Mount Sinai. Nope. Just my best information to find interesting, relevant credible articles that will give you better understanding of what's going on in the world around us. And it's free of charge. So, you know, I'll give you your money back if you're not satisfied with, uh, with what I'm providing you. One of the hardest things that I'm finding as we continue to move forward is maintaining my grip on reality. And it's, it's not because I'm just so weak minded. I don't know. Well, who do I believe and what do I believe? I'm just saying that you really have to work at it. And even when you're working at it, there are times where it's very normal to stop and think, wow, am I going nuts or is it, am I really seeing it? Are they, is the news media or is, are the politicians claiming that this is factual when I can very clearly see this is not the case? Well, the longer this crisis drags on, the more apparent that it is that uh, it's it's the source of nearly unlimited power for authoritarians. Got a great article here from Kit Knightley. This is from offguardian.org. And it says the COVID narrative is insane and illogical and maybe that is no accident. Maybe forcing people to believe your lies even after you admit you're lying is the purest form of power. And Kit Knightley starts with a quote from George Orwell from 1984. Not merely the validity of experience, but the very existence of external reality was tacitly denied by their philosophy. The heresy of heresies was common sense. Now, Kit Knightley says the COVID pandemic narrative is insane. That is a long established, uh, that's long established at this point. We don't really need to go back into how or why here. Just read our back catalog. The rules are meaningless and arbitrary, the messaging contradictory, the very premise nonsensical. Every day some new insanity is launched out into the world, and while many of us just roll our eyes and raise our voices or just laugh, many more accept it, believe it, allow it to continue. 
Take the situation in Canada right now where the government has enforced a vaccine mandate on health care workers, meaning in British Columbia alone, over 3,000 hospital staff were on unpaid leave by November 1st. How have local governments responded to staff shortages? They're asking vaccinated employees who have tested positive for COVID to work. Now, whether or not you believe the test means anything, they notionally do. In the reality, they're trying to sell us every day. Testing positive means you're carrying a dangerous disease. So they're requesting people allegedly carrying a deadly virus work rather than letting perfectly healthy, unvaccinated people simply have their jobs back. That does sound a lot like something other than we're just trying to protect public health and a lot more like we're just trying to show you who's really in charge. Crazy. Actually, as Kit Knightley puts it, this is insanity. But could anything more perfectly illustrate the priorities of those running the game? We already know it's not about a virus. It's not about protecting the health service, and it's not about saving lives. Every day, the people running the pandemic admit as much by their actions and even their words. Rather, it seems to be about enforcing rules that make little to no sense, requiring conformity at the price of reason, drawing arbitrary lines in the sand and demanding people respect them, making people believe facts that are probably untrue. But why? Why is the story of COVID irrational and contradictory? Why are we told on the one hand to be afraid and on the other that there is nothing to be afraid of? Why is the pandemic so completely insane? Now, you could argue that it's simple happenstance, the byproduct of a multifocused, evolving narrative, a story being told by a thousand authors all at once, each concerned with covering their own little patch of agenda. A car with multiple drivers fighting over a single steering wheel. And there's probably some truth to that. But it's also true that control, true control, can only be achieved with a lie. In clinical psychology, one of the diagnostic signs of the psychopath is that they tell elaborate lies compulsively. Many times they will tell a lie even if the truth would be more beneficial. Nobody knows why they do this, but Kit Knightley says, I have a theory, and it applies to the swarming little groups of little rat minds running the sewers of power as much as it does to any individual monstrosity. If you want to control people, you need to lie to them. And that's the only way to guarantee that you have power. If you're standing in the road and I yell, look out, there's a car coming, and you move just as a car whips past, I will never know if you moved because I said so or because there actually was a car. If my interest is in making sure you don't get hurt, this wouldn't matter to me either way, but what if my only true aim is the gratification of watching you do what I say simply because I said it? Well, then I need to scream out warning of a car that does not exist and watch you dodge an imaginary threat or indeed tell you there is no car and watch you get run over. Only by doing this can I see my words mean more to you than perceivable reality. Only then do I know that I'm truly in control. You can never control people with the truth because the truth has an existence outside yourself that cannot be altered or directed. It may be the truth itself that controls people, not you. You can never force people to obey rules that make sense because they may be obeying reason, not your force. True power lies in making people afraid of something that does not exist 
and making them abandon reason in the name of protecting themselves from the invented threat. To guarantee you have control, you must make people see things that are not there. Make people live in a reality you build around them and force people to follow arbitrary contradictory rules that change day by day. To test their loyalty, their hypnosis, you could even tell them that there's nothing to be afraid of anymore, but they need to follow the rules anyway. Holy cow, is that ever true? Maybe that's the point, says Kit Knightley. Maybe the story isn't supposed to be believable. Maybe the rules aren't supposed to make sense. They're meant to be obeyed. Maybe the contradictory and illog- more contradictory and illogical the rules and regulations become, the more your compliance is valued. Maybe you can force a person to abandon their judgment in favor of your own. If you can do that, you have total control over their reality. Now, Kit Knightley says, we started with an Orwell quote, so let's end with one too. Power is in tearing human minds to pieces and putting them together again in new shapes of your own choosing. Isn't that what we're seeing now? What we've been seeing since the beginning? People being mind broken into being afraid of something they told, something they told isn't frightening. Following rules they are told are not necessary. Taking medicine they are told does not work. Maybe forcing people to believe your lies, even as you admit you are lying, is the purest expression of power. Now let me take this in a slightly different direction to help illustrate this point, though. Ghislaine Maxwell, that was uh, Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend, has just been convicted of uh, participating in sex trafficking. And while, you know, there are people going, oh, ah, wow, you know, I mean, it's a salacious story, right? Anytime you're talking about, you know, sexual crime, that's always, that's always going to appeal to some of the more prurient interests among the people. But, so, Maxwell has been convicted. But you notice there's there's almost no talk. This I mean, this is neatly tied up. Well, justice has been done. Ghislaine Maxwell has been convicted. She's uh, going to go to prison for the rest of her life. Therefore, the matter is settled. Do you notice the conspicuous absence, though, of what about the clients? What about the powerful individuals? The Bill Clintons, the Tom Hanks, the Alan Dershowitzes, the politicians who spent time on Epstein's Island. Why are we not hearing about the clients who supposedly were partaking of the wares that uh, Ghislaine Maxwell and uh, and supposedly Jeffrey Epstein were uh, were marketing? I know it seems a little bit odd, doesn't it? We're not allowed to think about those kind of things. We're just supposed to believe, well, you know, she got hers, and therefore the matter is settled. Doesn't it make you a little bit curious that uh, if, in fact, there was sex trafficking going on, that there were people, apparently very powerful people, who were the end customers for that trafficking? Look, I'm not trying to gin up a mob. What I'm trying to do is gin up some independent thought. Because inquiring minds like mine and yours should want to know.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back. I kind of hesitated before uh, I chose this uh, this final article for the uh, final segment of today's show. Just because it's it's going to make some people uncomfortable. And again, my goal here is never to make you fearful. It's not to make you angry. There's plenty of anger. There's plenty of fear out there. I don't want to add to it. But I do believe that if, if you want to be able to stand on your own and really understand the world around you, you're going to have to be brave enough to face some pretty unpleasant facts. And one of the things that I know nobody wants to think about is the prospect of, could we see some kind of economic collapse? Now, I have to confess, I've been, I've been watching, I've been waiting, I've been anticipating that, oh, it's coming for probably the better part of the last 25 years. And somehow, you know, our economy has just chugged along on life support. I should say wheezed along on life support throughout that time. But the amount of spending, the amount of uh, interference within the market, it's all coming together in a very unpleasant way, the perfect storm that could set off not just a, you know, a nationwide economic collapse, but a global economic collapse. And I also have this sneaking suspicion, just based on what I've seen people in power do over the last couple of years, that there might be a deliberate element to this. In other words, it, this may be a controlled demolition. Or it may just be, you know, the jealous uh, ex-girlfriend, burn the house down, our relationship is over kind of mentality. I don't know. I do have an article here by J.G. Martinez. This is from The Organic Prepper. And it's Lessons from an Underground Economy. And I'm just going to put this out there for you to consider. If we ever found ourselves in an economic collapse, how would you get by? What would be valuable to know? Well, this is a writer from Venezuela. Someone who has seen firsthand what economic collapse looks like. So, with that in mind, let's see if there are some lessons we can draw from J.G. Martinez's experience. J.G. Martinez says, How is it possible to survive a nation with inflation rates of 20% a month and 1,700% a year? The answer, the underground economy. This is the level of hyperinflation we found ourselves with here in Venezuela. And he says, spreading the, uh, and considering the spread of inflation worldwide, it would be well worth the prepper's time to glean what we can learn here. Virtually everything you read dictates inflation on this scale, necessitates civil war. Yet Venezuela hasn't seen this. Why not? Why are the streets not being taken by armed civilians? Well, the main reason revolves around 20 years of disarmament and anti-self-defense teachings. But he says, I would argue there's a second reason we haven't delved into a full-on anarchy as well. And that is our underground economy. First point he makes is that underground economies keep people fed. He says, I've lived in four different and fallen South American countries and it's been the underground economy which has kept people going in each case. When I used to work in the Venezuelan oil industry, our salary was taxed heavily, just like everyone else's. As expected, these taxes can quickly make it hard for a family to pay its bills. But the underground economy, it's completely unregulated. I know guys with a hot dog cart who make much more money than engineers down here. And this isn't new. 
Our world has been like this for many years now. The guy working with the hot dog cart doesn't pay taxes, he doesn't pay rent, and usually, this is now an accepted practice, these street vendors will run a wire from some nearby pole for their music and lights. This man is a member of the underground economy, and he's just one of many. Our stated hot dog vendor's not an isolated case either. He's part of what's keeping this country alive in all probability. It is the men of this underground economy who likely comprise over half of our GDP in Venezuela. J.G. Martinez says more than half the money generated here is the result of men such as our hot dog vendor. Now, of course, much of this money also comes from the cartel and Russian mafia, but the point remains. It is the underground economy which is keeping the people of Venezuela somewhat fed. One thing's for sure, the larger and more bloated government control is, the greater the underground activity. Irregular business is the answer to these controls. It's simply to be expected, especially in Latin American countries. He says, I, don't, I believe I don't need to explain why. The government has seized the right to own foreign currency, trapping you in your hyperinflated national fiat currency. Well, a booming forex black market will spring up, regardless of how hard one attempts to stamp it out. Store shelves are empty. Well, I know a guy who knows a guy who can get you a 20-kilo pack of cornmeal flour for a bit of uh, arepas, a Venezuelan bread. Corruption and trafficking of certain islands of I- certain items rather was already a way of life here. These statist thugs just came into the equation to incorporate it further as a part of our lifestyle. How else do you explain that a simple Venezuelan pilot of a former state president can buy himself a $200 million yacht? Unless this guy works for pleasure and his surname is Onassis, I find that highly suspicious. Need further proof? The rumor is in Caracas that Ferraris, Lamborghinis, and other luxury cars are being brought in for the corrupt elite, and all is paid for by our tax dollars. You know, I see a similar attitude among American politicians. Nothing's too good for us, taxpayers. (laughs) So thanks for forking over all that money that we'll throw you in jail if you don't give us. Now, J.G. Martinez says, yes, rampant corruption and government overreach is bad, but it doesn't have to hit your family as hard as it could if you've made some preparations beforehand. That's the key, being ahead of the curve. For Venezuelan preppers, getting rid of these insane controls actually worked. It's kept us alive. He says, I sold the inflated money I earned and then bought food and everything else we needed in the black market. It was the only way we could make it. But the one thing I've realized is that there are some underground services which are more profitable than others outside of the truly criminal. So for the prepper considering how he is to survive an underground economy during an economic crisis, one may want to consider the following list of occupations that he's seen perform well in Argentina. First one is fumigation. One of the most attractive businesses you can develop in an underground economy is fumigation. Now, sure, you need a machine and chemicals, and unless you really know what you're doing, you could face problems. But that's something that a lot of people don't want to mess with. The end result? A lot of potential. Local regulations do impact some people down here with this job, however. Second one, he says, is fast food. He says, I'm astonished how extensive this income source is for families all throughout Venezuela. Yes, I know we Venezuelans love hot dogs, hamburgers, shawarmas, and the like, but it's simply ridiculous to see the excessive amount of fast food businesses flourishing near his home. He says, I can't figure it out, and neither can anyone else. The best I can figure is this. People like to eat. In the Venezuelan underground economy, 
Almost every business related to food is going to put food on your table as well. And he says, honestly, these people do so well. He says that I'm about to get my own deep fryer just to delve into the market on fried chicken. Here's another part of the underground economy, machine repairs. It doesn't matter the machine here. If you're skilled enough to repair it, congrats. You've got the makings of an incredible underground business. Now, he says, I've written about this extensively in the past, but whether it's HVAC or small engines, cars, sewing machines, farm equipment, anything else, you will never be short on business in an underground economy. A prepper should seriously consider becoming knowledgeable in at least some aspect of machine repairs. Also, house repairs. Every single house owner will sooner or later need to repair something that's outside of their range of experience. And he says, I found here that if your fees are reasonable, you work fast, you do good work, and you arrive on time, a rare combination for a contractor, I know, you'll get multiple jobs from the same customer. He says, I've also discovered that the suburbs seem to have more money in their pockets than do many of the other neighborhoods in Venezuela. If you're going to delve into the world of underground house repairs, That may be a profitable market to dive into. When the normal economy dies, the underground economy thrives. The Venezuelan people have been through a lot. Hyperinflation, famine, rampant construction, or corruption rather, and crime were not new to any of it. Yet despite all this, people still had to find a way to keep bread on the table and in their families' tummies. And the underground economy was the way we did it. That's the way it played out here and is continuing to play out, and it'll be the way things happen in other collapsing nations as well. The prepper needs to not only be prepared for disaster, but prepared for this form of black market as well. Now, let me tell you why I think this is a very relevant topic, even though you and I may not live in Venezuela. I think it's very possible we're going to see a continued crackdown on the unvaccinated, a continued effort to force them to the margins of society. You cannot enter this business. I mean, this is happening in New York. Five-year-olds being thrown out of McDonald's because they can't show their vaccine paperwork. Oh, boy. If that's the case, would it not make sense to build a parallel economy? Yes, it's going to be black market. I know with some people that's synonymous with criminal. You might as well be out there selling drugs. No, how about just providing something that creates value for other people and not worrying about seeking permission from the state before you engage in voluntary exchange? I don't know. That sounds a lot better to me than the idea that you're some kind of a pirate out there, you know, plundering other people. Check out the article linked in today's show notes. This is The Brian Hyde Show.